Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. Uh, We're going to do things a little bit differently this week. Uh, I'm going to be the guest, and I'm going to turn over the host chair to my colleague, Dr. Jason Peters. Uh, You've heard him before. He's been here talking about Iraq. Uh, I just returned from a trip to the Middle East, and so uh, he's going to interview me. We're going to talk about some of the people that we met on the trip, and uh, hopefully this will be a great blessing to you. Dr. Jason Peters, take it away. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Todd, and to kind of turn the tables here and get a chance to interview you. I know this was an amazing trip. You know, you've been doing this for 18 years, traveling in and out of restricted and hostile countries and having the opportunity. Really, I think we would both say the honor to meet with brothers and sisters and just to hear their stories. And on this trip, you met with an Iranian Christian family. Uh, It was interesting. This father, you said, spent three years in prison, and the mother and the oldest son were also arrested. Tell us that story. You know, this is a a really an amazing family that we had the privilege to meet, and I'm I'm not going to share their names. They are still in uh, a little bit of immigration limbo as far as where they're going to end up, where they are now. So I don't want to go into a lot of details about their uh, names and identities and so forth. But as you said, the, the father spent over three years in prison. The mom spent about nine months in prison. The oldest son actually spent his 18th birthday in an Iranian jail. If you think about, you know, throwing your 18th birthday party, if you're a young man, spending it in jail is not anybody's idea of what you would think about. But their faithfulness and just their spirit, that you know, you mentioned the honor that we have to go and visit these brothers and sisters, and I absolutely consider it a sacred privilege to be able to go sit down, drink tea, ask them questions, hear their stories. But this family just had such a sweet spirit. And as they shared their testimony, uh, this dad was a drug addict, you know, not for a little while, for 30 years, he was a drug addict. And Jesus came to him in a dream and it's interesting because there's, there's stories like this in the New Testament. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the dad said, well, I want to be free of my addiction. And Jesus said, I can do that for you. And the dad said, when? Which I thought was an interesting question. So when are you going to do this? And Jesus said, when you wake up, you are healed. Uh, and he said, from the moment he woke up until today, drugs hold no temptation for him. They it's not something that is a draw or an attraction or anything like that. Jesus just completely took that away. Yeah, and you said that the mother couldn't believe this. I mean, she didn't believe that he was actually clean, so she would literally take his clothes and kind of do a, a sniff test to make sure that they were uh, drug-free. We asked her about that, and, and that's what she said. She said, no, I didn't think it was real. Uh, and, and just because, you know, he would stop for a few days, you know, or maybe a week, here he is, and he's just not using drugs. And like you said, she would, as she did his laundry, she would check the pockets and she would sniff the clothes to see if there was a smell of drugs. And there was nothing like that. Now, you would think 
as a wife, you know, you're married to a drug addict and suddenly he's not a drug addict anymore. You would celebrate. She was a devout Muslim. Pray five times a day, follow Allah, go to the mosque. And she was not happy that her husband had come to faith in Christ. And in fact, she was very angry. She left him. But, and it's interesting because she said her family told her, you know, your husband is a Christian now. This is a terrible shame on all of us. You've got to leave him. And I said, okay, so your husband was a drug addict for 30 years. Did your family ever suggest that you should leave him for being a drug addict? No. And I, I'm still, my mind is blown by that answer. No, if he's a drug addict, you should stay married to him. But if he's following Jesus Christ and he loves you and he's treating you well, that's when you need to leave. Mm, it's, it's bizarre. And, you know, it's interesting because it opens up a window into Iran because we've heard that there are serious drug issues within the country of Iran. But this guy, he got put into prison and he began to share his faith with other people in the prison. Tell us what happened, how the guards kind of handle that. Well, there there was a couple things that happened when he was in prison. One thing is they sent him to the drug area where all the drug addicts were and where drugs were being used openly all the time in the prison. And they thought, hey, this guy's an addict. We'll put him around all these drugs. You know, he's going to be hooked again soon. No temptation. The other drug addicts are asking him, you know, wait a minute, you used to do this and now I can hold this in front of you, I can use in front of you, and it doesn't, there's no twinge of, of desire? None. Okay, how, you know, tell me how, which, you know, what an amazing opportunity for him to say, well, let me tell you how. Jesus is the one who healed me. I can introduce you to him. He can touch you as well. So he has this incredible ministry in the drug ward of the prison, and the guards, get upset because he's leading people to Christ and they send him to death row because in their minds, and he kind of chuckled about this. He said, you know, they're thinking these guys, he's going to be around all these guys. They're going to be executed in a few days. Anyway, he can't do much damage there. (laughs) Wow. And so he has the opportunity literally in the last hours of some of these guys' lives to introduce them to Jesus Christ, to lead them to faith, to rescue their eternity literally days before they were put to death. So uh, as as the guard said, yeah, he can't do a lot of damage there. In eternity, he was doing amazing things. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, people are so much more sensitive to issues of a spiritual nature when they're facing death. And he really maximized that for God's glory. Now, let's talk about the Bible. He was able somehow to get the Bible in the prison. Well, they didn't have an actual printed Bible, but but what they did, and I thought this was such a challenge to me. You know, we talk about traveling and, you know, what do you bring home from a trip like this? This was one of the challenges to me. There were about nine Christians in the prison with him. And so what he did is he got a blank notebook and a pen, and he wrote down all the scriptures that he had memorized. Mm. And then he passed it to the next Christian, and they wrote down all the scriptures they'd memorized. It went all around to the nine guys. And so they had this little notebook that was only the scriptures that they had memorized. Again, you know, what are you going to do with this? I think all of us need to think about, are we really purposefully hiding God's word in our heart, memorizing scriptures? Because that notebook became their Bible. They, they had access to the scriptures, only those that they had memorized before they got to prison, because they were never allowed to have a Bible inside. Uh, and again, I thought, how much Bible would I take with me if I went to prison? If you only got what you'd memorized, what would you have? Thankfully, he had 
a lot. Mm -hmm. And he had these other eight Christians who also had brought with them. And so together they kind of formed this little church and created this little notebook Bible. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, can you imagine the joy they must have experienced as they read verses that they knew, but maybe they hadn't memorized, yeah. and now they were written down, and they were able to celebrate together. That's that's an incredible story. Uh, do you remember any of the verses that really stood out to him? You know, I do, and it's he shared, and this is one of the questions that we ask as we sit down with these brothers and sisters. What were the scriptures uh, that really stuck out to you. And there's a couple that I want to share. One is from uh, the Gospel of John, and uh, he mentioned this because Jesus is talking to God about those that God has given him. Uh, and he says, those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. That's in John 17, verse 12. Those who you gave me, I have not lost. They are saved. And so in prison, he would he would grab a hold of that and say, I'm saved. I'm with Jesus Jesus is not going to lose me. No matter what the guards do, no matter what the hardship is, no matter what happens to my family, I'm with Jesus, and he doesn't lose any that are given to him. So I'm okay. I'm safe. Another one that he shared, he shared from Acts chapter 14, and it's uh, Paul and Barnabas are encouraging the believers, uh, and they say, we must pass through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so as he's spending these three years in prison, he said that's one of the verses that he thought about often. And he thought, that's what's going on. That's what's happening. It says it's going to happen. I am passing through tribulation. I'm here. I'm in the midst of it. Uh, but again, he went back to that verse, I'm with Jesus, and Jesus doesn't lose that which is given to him. Now, obviously, this was an Iranian who had suffered in Iran. But what about in Turkey? There are American Christian workers there. And I know you met one who'd been there for some time. Tell us his story. We did. We met with a, a very bold evangelist, an American worker who's been more than a decade in Turkey. Uh, and he recently was arrested. And in fact, the, the Turkish government is trying to take away his residency permit. They arrested him and sent him to an immigration prison, basically for people who are about to be deported. This is where you get locked up. Uh, now, the interesting thing is most of the people who were there were radical Muslim terrorists <laughs> who, who had been captured by the Turkish government, either on their way to Syria, on their way out of Syria. And so he's in prison with all these guys who absolutely do not like him or do not like what he stands for. Uh, so he had an opportunity even there, and he, and he said, you know, I had to be careful. But he said, it was funny because he the quote that he said, he said, you know, I never got bored in prison. There was so much work to be done. I never got bored. There was just a lot going on. Yeah. I had, And that's how he lives his life. And he talked about, you know, we have protection in the Turkish law. And it was very interesting because one of the things he said is that uh, President Erdogan, the president of Turkey— has early in his life, he was arrested for his Islamic activities. He was arrested and put in jail for like six months as a young man. Fast forward to today, he's the president of Turkey. Some would say he's pushing towards dictator status there. But he has put in some religious freedom protection into the law because of his experience being in jail for Islam. He's put in some protection in the law. And now this American believer is is counting on that protection. Uh, and currently, he's in a situation he will not leave the country because he feels like if he leaves, they'll never let him back in. So he is in the country fighting. He has five different court cases that are going forward, trying to get the government to abide by their law. Uh, and he's counting on victory and, and praying for victory and hoping that that comes. If they follow the law, 
he's fine. But sometimes they don't, which is why he was arrested in the first place. So one of the challenges in Turkey is raising children in that context. Talk a little bit about why that's difficult as a Christian. You know, one of the brothers that we met with, uh, he was talking about his son, and his son is seven years old. And he said, every day I send my son to a school where he's the only Christian. And I thought, wow, (laughs) you know, how how do you prepare a seven-year-old to be the only Christian in a Muslim environment? And he said his son will come home and ask questions, and like, like they'll hear the call to prayer coming from the mosque. And the son will be like, you know, well, why don't we do anything when the call to prayer happens? Well, because we're Christians. And, and then the son says, well, at school we—it's like, wait a minute. Mm. The school, he gets, you know, six hours a day, seven hours a day at school. He's getting indoctrinated. As a parent, how do you prepare him for that? How do you inoculate him against that? How do you allow him to follow Christ in the midst of so much pressure and just— you know, being completely the only Christian. And I've thought of that several times as I have two boys. I know you have sons, you have daughters. Every day I send my son to a place where he's the only Christian. We need to pray for the children of Christians in Muslim countries uh, because that's an incredibly tough environment for them. It's an incredibly tough thing for their parents to send them out to that every single day. Yeah, and we really need to pray for wisdom because some have chosen, you and I have met people around the world who've chosen to keep their children out of that system, and they face uh, persecution just for that decision. We know believers who have been arrested for that. I mean, they literally went to the school and said, hey, uh, we're a Christian family. He needs to get out of this Islamic instruction class, and they end up in jail because they're like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be a Christian. So... It's It really is a challenge for the parents and for the kids in these contexts. Absolutely. Yeah, so you had a chance to meet with some Iranian Christians. You also had a chance to meet with some Turkish believers. And then and then you went to Jordan. And it was interesting there, uh, when you think about Muslims coming to Christ, one of the defining moments, of course, is baptism. But you met with a pastor who had kind of an interesting comment about that. You know, he said, the police come. Their church is very open. It's got a sign on the wall outside, hey, this is a church. He said Muslims are coming all the time. In fact, he said it's common. It used to be, you know, if you saw a woman in a veil or you saw a guy with a long bushy beard, it was like, wait, wow, there's a Muslim coming to church. He said, now that's that's every week. That's just another Sunday. But he said the police will come and tell him, you know, you're not supposed to baptize Muslims. Uh, And he kind of chuckled, and he said, and I tell them, I have never baptized a Muslim. (laughs) I don't baptize them until they're a Christian. That's great. And I don't think the police probably were very happy with that answer. But the hunger for the gospel among Muslims in these Middle Eastern countries is just phenomenal. And one of the entree points is this refugee crisis. I mean, I've been to Jordan as well, and, and I've seen these refugee centers where Christians are serving. In fact, VOM sponsors many of these projects where Christians literally serve Muslim refugees because uh, ISIS is not just persecuting Christians. They're also persecuting other Muslims and Yazidis and other groups. So tell me about the type of ministry that's happening in these refugee centers. Well, there's there's incredible ministry that's going on. And it starts out, like you say, it starts out with the humanitarian, hey, These people need everything. They need clothing. They need medical care. They need a roof over their heads. And so as you are helping with those needs, you get a chance to hear their deeper needs, hear their spiritual needs. One of the pastors that we met with who's doing this kind of work, it was very interesting when he talked about 
starting out among the refugees. And he actually had someone in his church who said, I'm I'm ready to fund a ministry to the refugees. And the pastor is like, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm busy. I got my church. I'm, I got a lot going on. I, I don't have time for that. Find somebody else <laughs> was basically his message. He said he went home that night and the Lord really said, you know, what are you doing? How can you say no to this? You need to do this. He called the guy back the next day and said, okay, if, if you're providing the funds, we'll provide the workers. Now you fast forward several months, and he says the refugee ministry is the most exciting thing that he gets to do every week. He loves it. He has come to really be passionate about it. One of the stories he shared, they go into these homes, and as you mentioned, some of them are nominal Christian, some of them are Christian, some of them are Muslim, some of them are Yazidi. There are other things. Every home they go to, they ask if they can pray for them in the name of Jesus. Okay, they make it very clear, we're not praying to Allah, we're not praying to Muhammad, we're going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. Is that okay? Almost never does anybody object to that. They're very open to that. One of the ladies recently, they went to a home, the, the lady had a son who had a heart murmur, had a heart problem. He'd had it basically his whole life. And uh, they prayed in the name of Jesus, and three or four days later, this lady called him on the phone and I love this conversation. She said, I need you to write down the prayer that you prayed for my son. And he's kind of like, okay, you know, why? <laughs> why? Why do you need me to write it down? And she says, well, he's been healed. His heart is fine now. And I want to pray that very same prayer over my other children. And so this pastor had an opportunity to explain to her, well, let me share with you. It's not about the words that you say. It's not me writing something down. It's about who we're praying to. Remember, we prayed to Jesus. We prayed in Jesus' name that your son would be healed. Jesus is the one who has answered your prayer. That's who you need to pray to. It's not important the words. It's important the who, and it's Jesus. And so that woman now is come to faith, following Christ, growing in her faith. And he said that is not an uncommon story. The, the story of a healing, the story of a miracle, those things are happening weekly in their ministry as they go out to the refugees and as they pray in Jesus' name. Yeah, it's incredible to see, again, how God is at work around the world. You also said that you told me that there was an imam, you know, a Muslim teacher, who is now walking with Christ, leading others to faith. Unbelievable. This is amazing because, you know, as you say, this is a Muslim teacher. This is a guy who leads the Friday prayers in the mosque. He opens the Quran and tells people what it says and, and how to follow it. He has now come to faith in Christ, and as you say, he's telling others. He was the guy they went to for advice about spiritual things. Now when they go, he says, well, instead of opening the Quran, how about if we open the New Testament? Let me share with you about Jesus. That's who I'm following. That's the guy I'm giving my life for. And again, this is common. This is, you know, we see all of the terrible things going on in the Middle East. We see it on the news. We see ISIS. God is doing some amazing things, and there is an amazing hunger and move of his Spirit among Muslims in the Middle East. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is at work in incredible ways, and we, we praise God for that. And I'm really grateful that VOM has a chance to partner with some of these leaders, these churches in these countries. And, and really, one clinic there is a medical and dental clinic, and they, they really have a school going on for vocational training and, and this holistic approach. Why is that so important, you think? Well, we went and visited the center, which is run by one of our partners there. And, you know, it goes back to the fact that the refugees have nothing. They have come 
literally fled war. Many of them, their homes were destroyed, so they didn't have anything to bring with them anyway. Many of them couldn't bring anything. They arrived in Jordan with basically the clothes on their back. Uh, and so there's no way for them to educate their children. There's no place for them to live. There's no medical care for them. Uh, the Jordanian government obviously is trying to help, but what do you do when millions of people f- come across your border and you have to provide for them? It's it's just an impossible situation. So these brothers and sisters who are doing this work, they just simply open their doors and say, hey, we can help. We have a doctor who will see you. We have a dentist. When you you know have a toothache and you need a tooth pulled, we can help with that. And again, all of this is not, we're not saying you have to become a Christian in order to access this help, but it gives an incredible opportunity to say, hey, can I pray with you while you're here? Is there other needs that you have? Can we help with those? Uh, it just is an incredible way for our Jordanian brothers and sisters to be Jesus and to represent him to these incredibly needy people. And, you know, and many of them are Muslims. And one of the amazing things that they say is, well, you know, it's very strange. The mosque is not helping us, but you Christians are helping us. We've always hated you. You know, why, why is it that you're helping us? Again, what an amazing opportunity to say, well, let me tell you why. It's because of Jesus. And there's so much openness and there's so much hunger for truth that it's just an amazing time of ministry. It's interesting. You talked about a Syrian family that you met as well uh, and some of the challenges that they faced when their father was taken to prison. Talk a little bit about that. This was uh, maybe the low point of the trip, just from the, the standpoint of a heartbreaking situation. The, the father was arrested in Syria. Uh, he was held in prison for about 13 months. The wife, uh, you know, there's war going on. Her husband's been arrested. She fled Syria, came to Jordan. When the father was released from prison after 13 months, he came to Jordan, but she said he was not the same man. You know, 13 months in a Syrian prison had affected him. Eventually, he left the wife, went off, left the children. She's now a single mom in a culture that doesn't honor or take care of single moms, and she's left to fend for herself. Uh, And You know, it's interesting because we went to her home, her little apartment, with people from the church who are trying to reach out to her. And I'm so thankful that that they have a lifeline and they're, you know, they understand her needs and they understand her kids' needs. You know, she had kind of a hardness about her and you could just sense, you know, heartbreak and you wonder what abuse maybe has happened and, and what's gone on as she fled Syria and fled the war there was kind of just a hardness about her. Uh, but these Christian brothers and sisters that Voice of the Martyrs is working with are coming into that hard situation and and just loving on her and loving on her kids and helping where they can help. And, you know, I, I have thought of that lady several times since we've come home and just, you know, Lord, work in her situation because it's an incredibly difficult situation. She is ripe for abuse in that culture. She doesn't have a covering. She doesn't have a male relative who can protect her and uh, kind of bring her under his wing. She's she's a sitting duck. And so, Lord, protect her. And thank you, Lord, for the people that we get to work with over there who are reaching out to that situation. And she's one of hundreds, thousands mm-hmm. who are in that situation who need that help. 
Yeah, let's pray even now, uh, listeners. Let's pray for this uh, dear lady who's who's just in a very vulnerable position, and may God just restore her. And may He bring her to Himself, and and may those who are ministering to her have wisdom to know what the best way is. You know how they can serve her most effectively. It's interesting. You've talked about prayer throughout our conversation, and when you think about this month, this month of Ramadan, we're recording this during Ramadan, and and I remember sitting in a mosque one time and, and listening to a teaching on Ramadan. This is a time when Muslims are praying more, and I want to encourage us, and I know you do too, to take advantage of this time. What are some ways that we can pray for Muslims this month as they're fasting and they're praying? What are some things that we can do? Well, I, I think the key way is for us to pray. And as you say, this is this is the most important month on the, on the Muslim spiritual calendar. This is the month where they are seeking Allah. They're seeking, okay, I want to earn his favor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything right. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do the prayers. I'm going to wash the right way. I'm going to make Allah proud of me this month. So they're seeking that spiritual enlightenment and that spiritual connection I think we can pray that that God, the one true God, will answer their prayers, will connect with them. And, you know, we hear the stories, I think, of the Iranian brother we talked about who had a dream where Jesus came and spoke to him directly. Lord, we pray that that will happen this month as Muslims are seeking you. We've heard stories of people getting a Bible, maybe miraculously getting a Bible, maybe flipping through the channels and coming across a Christian satellite station or a Christian radio station. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will guide people to those outlets of truth where they can hear the truth and make a true connection with the one true God. I think of it as us agreeing with our Muslim friends in prayer. We, we're praying to Jesus, but we're agreeing with them. We want them to have a connection to God. We want them to know the truth, and they want that this month too. So, so we're agreeing with them. Uh, obviously, we want to point them to Christ, but we want them to know the truth. That's right, and God is at work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I love the fact that as we sit here in the United States, most of us, and we pray that it's in the middle of the night in many parts of the Muslim world, and and as they're uh, sleeping, God is at work. It reminds me of Mark chapter 4. It talks about when seed is planted, and and it says even that the, the farmer sows the seed, and then even in the middle of the night, something's happening. That seed is it's germinating, it's growing, and, and it's out of the hands of the farmer. So in similar ways, I think we can be encouraged to know that it's not uh, something that we do, it's what God is doing. And so praise God for the ways that he's at work. Overall, this sounds like a, a pretty amazing trip. It really was an amazing trip. I, I love that part of the world. I love the food. I love the people. We got to see some amazing sights. Uh, I just, you know, when it, whenever I'm sitting at my desk and there's not very many days where I feel frustrated or, or feel like, man, what am I doing here? I come back from a trip like this and I'm like, man, I've got the greatest job in the world. I want to work until the day I die as hard as I can to bless the brothers and sisters around the world, that, that we have the privilege and, again, the sacred honor of going and meeting and hearing their stories. It was a great trip. Yeah, it is such an honor. I mean, what an incredible opportunity to sit with someone who's suffering for his name's sake 
and to know that we are able to be the hands and feet to them. And that's the opportunity that the Voice of the Martyrs offers really uh, everyone, the opportunity to say, hey, I want to be a part of this. God is doing something. There's going to be eternal fruit that will only be manifest in heaven. But the way that I can be a part of that now is by praying and really being hands and feet in very practical ways, and there are a lot of ways to do that. Well, thanks so much, Todd, for the opportunity to hang out this morning, and I'm excited to see uh, what we learn from your next trip. Thank you very much, Jason, and uh, I'll just remind our listeners, if you'd like to hear this interview again, uh, you can hear it online at vomradio.net. You can also sign up for our podcast. It's available on iTunes. It's available on Google Play Music. Uh, Sign up for the podcast so that you never miss an episode of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we will look forward to having you back with us next week here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. (music) 